Hey out there sports fans, welcome to another episode of Sports with BJ, and it's the most wonderful time of the year. No sir, it is not holiday season, it is Masters Week. It is time, it is here. We have been waiting anxiously since April, and here we are. And for such a special episode near and dear to my heart, I had to bring on a special guest. We're going to go ahead and get him introduced. We have the Outdoor Operations Supervisor from world-renowned Isleworth Club in Florida. Ladies and gentlemen, Phil Washington. Phil, thanks for joining the show. Brandon, thank you for having me. Pleasure to be on. Absolutely, man. And I got to, for my listeners out there, I had to pull some strings on this one. Uh, Phil and I attended the Golf Academy of America in Orlando together. Um, had many great conversations over Chinese food, maybe yes. some sushi in there. Um, not what you would think uh, sunny Orlando would be known for, but hey, we had some good stuff in there. Yeah, we did. Um, and Phil has now gone on and done some, some great things, obviously, like I said, down there at the, uh, the world-renowned Iowa Club. Uh, lots of famous golfers, lots of well-known golfers that have made that place home. Uh, so I had to pull the strings and get the big guns on for the Masters episode. So, Phil, how are things going uh, down there at Isleworth right now? Things are not too bad. Um, we're just now coming into our season. Um, we went ahead this past week and we did some overseeding, so we put some rye down. Um, but other than that, we're, uh, we're looking pretty good. Um, just trying to get ready for the season. Obviously a couple things that we had to, uh, switch up due to the pandemic, a couple things that we couldn't do this year. Hopefully we could do next year, but other than that, we're rocking and rolling down here in Orlando. And one of those things that had to be put on hold this year that should be coming back would be the college invitational. Am I right? That's correct. So the Tavistock Collegiate Invitational. So we try and invite some of the best male uh, Division One college teams down and uh, play. But unfortunately, with this year with the pandemic, um, we could not pull the strings on it. Most of the uh, conferences, the ACC, SEC, Big East, um, Big Ten, they all just couldn't couldn't pull the trigger, and you know we just couldn't do it this year. Gotcha. Okay. So for most of the listeners out there that are intrigued by this episode, y'all probably already know this, but down in Florida, there's two main communities. There's Isleworth, which of course we have Phil graciously representing. And then of course there's Lake Nona. And those are where anybody who's anybody in the world of professional golf either has a house there that they vacation to or reside there. Um, and there used to be a yearly battle between the Lake Nona residents and the Isleworth residents called the Tavistock Cup. And about seven or so years ago, that stopped. Now, are you are you in a position to divulge why that why that kind of got nixed? So, I think one of the reasons was if you think about it, if you think about the schedule back then, you had the the Honda Classic, which was at Doral. Right. So after that week, the players would have to fly back up overnight to Orlando play Monday, Tuesday at the Tavistock Cup, which is supposed to be, you know, a couple days off for the guys. Wednesday, they have a pro-am and then play the actual uh, Bay Hill Invitational the next four days, barring they make the cut. I, I think it just got too much for the guys. Um, they no, couldn't. That's they, 11 they, straight days of golf. Yeah, that's, that's a lot on them, especially during that Florida swing. That's a lot with them. And uh, I think it's just over time, there just wasn't that much 
um, enthusiasm that much, you know, um, care. I don't want to say it, but that much care to have that tournament. It was losing that prestige, especially when they added, you know, more clubs like Queenwood and Albany. It's supposed to be the two Orlando clubs. That's it. Right. And when these guys are out there playing the Honda Classic and then the Tavistock and then, of course, Bay Hill right after that, they're competing with each other for that would be three straight weeks. Correct. Um, so the, the prestige of our club has the trophy this year, I would imagine probably we're off with 11 straight days of golf. Yeah. Um, but it was a pleasure to watch it while it lasted. We've now replaced that, as Phil just said. They now do the Tavistock, Tavistock College Invitational. So we still get some great golf out there. Um, and the two courses are still doing very well. Just unfortunate that the scheduling in the Florida swing kind of bumped out the Tavistock Cup. But we mentioned in the open that you were the outside golf operations supervisor. So what does a standard day in your position look like? What are your responsibilities? What are your day-to-day ongoings? What does that, what does that entail? So pretty much anything that has to do with anything on the outside. So whether it's making sure that the carts are spotless, making sure that everything from the scorecard is nice and fresh, uh, pencils, tees, making sure that there are fresh towels in the cubby, making sure that uh, there's plenty of food, plenty of snacks in the cooler, making sure that um, uh, the, the pace of play. Pace of play, Brandon, Pace of play is huge at this golf course because if any group plays in more than three hours, three and a half hours, I'm going to hear about it. Mm. These, these, our members like to play really fast. Sure. They want to get in. They want to get out. They want to go to the 19th hole, have lunch, just have a good time, be away from the rest of life that's going on, uh, you know, outside of the gates. Yeah. Um, pretty much consistency. Every day, our members, we set a high bar. Sure. I want to make sure, I along with the rest of our golf team, we want to make sure that as soon as our member gets to the club, that by the time they get to the cart, everything that they need is already there. They shouldn't have to ask us for anything. Right. We want to be one step ahead of them. And yeah. we want to make sure that they have the most enjoyable round of golf they possibly can. Absolutely. And this is not just, uh, you know, that might sound intense to some people out there that are just your weekend golfer, but this is not a, a local muni or, you know, uh, just a local staple that you and your buddies go to. People pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to be members of these courses, especially Isleworth. Um, it mm-hmm. is its own entity. If you look up Isleworth, it will not say Orlando. It will not say Windermere. It will tell you that Isleworth is a community on the outskirts of Windermere, Florida. It is its own community. Correct. So these people are paying high dollars for that notoriety. So kudos to Phil and his staff for continuously putting out a product that keeps people coming back. Well done there. So before we get to golf and talking about the Masters, I, I see it. You're a Philly fan. I know that about you. I know that we've had some great conversations about your Villanova Wildcats and my UVA Cavaliers going back and, to, or back and forth in yep. basketball. So yep. we've got to talk some Philly sports. And the first thing I want to talk to you about, the division leading in Philadelphia Eagles. Ooh, do we have to? We, we do have to. 
<laughs> Whenever I get my hands on a Philly fan, I've got to oh. ask because some of the most passionate, some would say the most passionate fan base all after the whole booing Santa incident. Um, but as an Eagles fan, what is the, I have to imagine it's bittersweet. You're the division leaders, but you're also below 500 and not playing good football. What's this season been like for a Philadelphia Eagle fan? It's, you know, we coming into the season with everything going on, you know, in the rest of the world, we didn't know. We knew this was not going to be the regular season. It wasn't going to be a normal season at all. But my God, when you have barely a training camp, when your training camp is virtual, you really have to think, are these boys really doing the workouts that they say that they're doing at home or at their personal, you know, workout site? Are they looking at the playbook? Are they prepared week in and week out for each game? Are they taking this serious? <sighs> Being the fact that we have a quarterback who we – this is, what, year four? I think year four or year five. I think it's year four that we've had Carson. And had a great year. 2017 should have been MVP if he did not get injured against the LA Rams. Sure. And then we've had, we've had turnover in the roster. Uh, it seems like we're picking up wide receivers off the street and making them look decent after a while. Our With running back effect. Yeah. It, it's, it's dude, it's a carousel. It really is a carousel. It, it's just been a hard year to, for Philadelphia sports in general. The only bright spot has been the Philadelphia Flyers. Mm, great year. The fact that they got to the second round and almost took out, I don't even, I don't even know who they faced, but I heard they, they exceeded expectations. But we're talking about the Eagles. The E-A-G-L-E-S. Fly, Eagles, Eagles fly. Their, their wings are clipped right now <laughs> they're, they're flying in circles because we have no identity we don't know what's going on but we're hurt we've been hurt we've had the injury bug for the last awesome. three years now some big time players mm -hmm. have gone down um yeah as a washington fan uh that first game uh, we were down in nags head but i made sure to tune in and when i saw the injury report i was like my gosh we better win this game. Yeah. I mean, and you should have won that game, and you did. We did. We you did. Thought, we should have won it before kickoff. Y'all should have won it after kickoff. Yeah, you, yeah, you did. <laughs> <laughs> Just a roller coaster of emotions that whole game. But yeah, I mean, almost all your offensive line was gone. What was yeah. it at one point last year? There was no official wide receiver on the roster. Y'all were just putting. Correct. So our best wide receiver was a dude named Greg Ward Jr., mm. who I believe was the quarterback out of Louisville. Yes. He was a great quarterback, but then when he came to the NFL, he wanted to transition and try to make the team a little bit better at wide receiver. He ended up coming pretty clutch last season, making a couple big catches, getting us into the playoffs. And then Seattle came along and – took us out, which I will say this, uh, God, McCown, if he didn't get hurt, 
or if Carson didn't get hurt, I think we would have won that game. You think so? I think so. Okay. You know, really that is the general consensus amongst all the sports media. Um, that was that was huge. Yep. That was huge. Yep. Well, I love uh, – y'all can't see at home. We're on Zoom right now, and I get to see Phil's passion. If y'all can't hear it, it is all over his face. He loves his Eagles, and he is about to bust a forehead blood vessel. So we're going to switch to something a little more positive. 76ers, disappointing show in the playoff. Um, yes. But, again, an unprecedented type of season mm -hmm. where a lot of the camaraderie and a lot of the momentum that teams had was broken up yep. in transition to the bubble. So here we are again, another season, another inept performance in the playoffs for the 76ers, but there is a lot of buzz around the upcoming season. So just a quick preview, because I want to talk some golf, but yep. a quick preview. What do you expect out of your 76ers coming up on December 22nd? Well, let me say this. When you have a turnover in the front office like this, this is big. Like we're going, we're getting out of the Colangelo era, and now we're coming into the, the Elton Brand era. To UVA where alumni, he, by the way. What's that? The UVA alumni, Elton Brand. Yeah, there you go. Actually, actually, you oh, might yeah. be. I'm no. thinking Elton Brown. I'm thinking Elton Brown. Elton Brand. <laughs> Go ahead. Oh, good. No, so uh, we're gonna it's going to be. I think so. This is going to be Elton Brand's baby. More importantly, we got Daryl Morey. Daryl Morey has now become the president of basketball operations. He left. Uh, the Houston Rockets, he said he wanted to take some time off, take a year away from the, uh, from the game. I didn't know it was going to be about uh, two and a half weeks, if that, before he jumped to Philadelphia. And I'm, I'm really glad that we got him. Uh, Doc Rivers, who I have admired as a coach for a very long time, as a matter of fact, he actually came to Isleworth a little earlier this year. Ooh. Um, he is a very, very nice gentleman down to earth he'll talk to you shake hands or in this era fist bump um down to earth he loves the game he loves the game so much and for him to come out of a team that had paul george and Kawhi leonard now you come to a team with budding superstars at the ages of 24 and 26 in joel Embiid and ben simmons you better find a way to make it work you yeah. have to find a way to make it work with us giving them extended contracts for the next at least four years. You're going to have those two together unless you're going to trade one of them away. Are they going to right now? We don't know. We have to see everything play out on the court. Um, we got some new assistants as well. Um, Dave Yeager, we got from Sacramento. Um, I took notes. I'm going to be I'm like, I want to be good for you, Brandon. I, hey, we appreciate it. Uh, back here. Sam Cassell, he was an assistant with the Clippers. He came over. And then um, Dan Burke, I think he was the defensive guru with the Indiana Pacers. So, to be honest with you, I'm looking, to, I'm looking at the Eastern Conference. You got to have Miami as the class of the, uh, of the Eastern Conference right now, the way that they played. Milwaukee, you don't know. Yeah, you don't know you because the, the big question mark is Giannis. Is Giannis going to stay or is he going to go? Mm -hmm. You don't know. Um, you look at 
Boston. Boston's going to be a very good team. They have a very good coach. The Eastern Conference is always very top-heavy. Yeah. They're not very deep. You've got your same three, four competitors, and and we just see really who comes. Toronto is going to be a tough one. Toronto's going to be good. And then KD coming back. You've got to have KD in Brooklyn. Brooklyn and with Kyrie. Yeah, so – and the way you're looking at knows a UVA grad, sixth man of the year, in my opinion, Joe Harris coming off the bench, shooting lights out. Yeah, I have a love-hate relationship with Joe Harris. He has always done very well against Philadelphia. <laughs> always. Yes, sir. Even if it was in the JPJ at Villa when they were playing Villanova, he shows okay. out for the Philly. He yep. shows out. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good segue into, you know, Doc Rivers and meeting him. You know, he's going to be the coach of the Philadelphia 76ers. You yep. met him working out there at Isleworth. Who's, who would you say has been the most interesting celebrity you've had an opportunity to meet? All right, so you ready for this? So two years ago, I'll quick story. I'm not going to take too much time. But two years ago, there was a day. Uh, it was on a Friday in August. I got a text from my director of golf. And he texts me and he says, hey, I can't tell you exactly who you're going to be caddying for, but this particular person specifically wanted you to forecaddy with them out on the golf course. Called you out by name? Yeah. Wow, okay. How he got my name, I don't know. Maybe I, he knows, I think he knows somebody else in the Tavistock um, pipeline company. So – we fast forward to maybe two days prior and I'm hearing whispers. And then the day before I find out that when the person comes in, it's not just one person, it's two. They are Will and Jada Smith. Oh yeah. Will Will and Jada came into town. They were getting a lesson with the one and only Sean Foley. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So I was going to have Will and Jada in the afternoon. Just pre-entanglement, obviously. Pre-entanglement. Yeah. 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 And Will is like one of my – he's one of my idols. I've looked up to him. Another Philly guy, born and raised. On a playground is where he spent most of his days. I'm not going to sing the whole thing. You You know the rest. Yeah. Did I have butterflies the day of? Yeah, absolutely. You gotta stay professional. You gotta, you know, you gotta, you gotta do your thing. So, also on that same day, that morning, one of our members comes from his house and he parks and he's like, "Hey, just letting you know, I'm having breakfast with the governor." You're having breakfast with who? I'm having breakfast with the governor. Yeah, in about thirty minutes. Governor Ron DeSantis, down here in Florida. So we're gonna have the governor. Will and Jada Smith, as if that wasn't enough, I hear over the radio, hey, we have a Jeffrey Atkins through the gate playing with such and such. For those of you that are into music, into the rap game, Jeffrey Atkins turns out to be Ja Rule. No way. So on the same day. I want to play about you. That Ja Rule? That Ja Rule. Jeffrey Atkins. Love that. That Ja Rule. So he comes up 
I meet him. He's like, hey, I'm Jeff. Nice to meet you. I'm like, yeah, Jeff, I know who you are. There's two black SUVs that come up around the driveway and park. You see the shadow dude going to the clubhouse. That's the governor. So I got all this going on at the same time. And then it decides to rain. I mean, it pours like a hurricane. Like Not a get... typical 3.15 in the afternoon Florida rain. No, no. I mean, this, this came at like 10.30, probably dropped inch and a half, two inches of rain. Brandon, probably in about 30, 45 minutes. Ooh. I'm getting reports. Hey, we may have to, you know, we may have to postpone this. We may have to shut down the course. Then about 1.30, say, Phil, get your stuff, get ready. We're going to have you. You're going to have, you're going to forecatty with uh, Will and Jada. You'll have the course to yourself for the first hour. Nobody else will be on the golf course. So, let me tell you that experience. I will. I will never forget that day for the rest of my life. That's a. That's an action-packed, star-studded day. Yeah. And I will never forget that story because I now know Ja Rule's name is Jeffrey Atkins. <laughs> and I can't listen to him the same ever again. <laughs> ever again. So that day was star-studded and action-packed for you. Lots of great people around. Yeah. This year, a tradition like any other, in a year unlike any other, yeah. brings us to Augusta in November. Yes, sir. And we will have no fans. None. So I'd like to start off the Masters preview by asking, what do you think will be the most interesting thing outside of the, the play on the course? What do you think will be the most interesting thing to observe this year at the Masters? Probably how quiet it's going to be. It's going to be, there's going to be no roars. The only other people out there are going to be the Augusta National Workers and Volunteers. Um, and then the overall environment. You're going to see red and orange instead of your, your pinks and your whites in the azaleas. There's another big factor, and I already alluded to it just now, is going to be weather. So I've already looked 10 days out. I'm not sure. They're calling for rain. Right. They're calling for a good shot at rain. It might be Thursday, Friday. It could be Friday, Saturday. And I'm not sure if it's going to be a cold front or the tropical storm that's currently in the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. It looks like after the last projection that I just saw, we could be getting hit here in Orlando. Um, it could be Monday afternoon. Monday night going into Tuesday, but we're going to start feeling the effects as early as tomorrow. So I'm not sure if those projections are factoring in with that storm or whether or not there's going to be a cold front coming out of the north that's going to be sweeping through the south. Okay. So you brought up one point that I definitely want to touch on. The scenery is, is going to be completely different to what, yep. we, what we normally see. Now, you did make some great points. We're not going to have – people waiting on 13 to tee off while people on 12 putt. We're not going to have people on 15 or 17 holding up because someone might get a hole in one on that Sunday pin location on 16. We're not going to have that this year. It's going to be a lot quieter, but the scenery for sure from an aesthetic standpoint is going to be different. Do you think it's possible that Augusta could be prettier in the fall than it is in the spring? 
It, mm. I mean, fall golf is beautiful golf. Fall golf is beautiful, but we're talking about the South. We're also talking about towering Georgia pines. We're talking True. about some elms, some maples, some yep. magnolias. Yep. I, I don't think I don't think anything. I'll say this. Let me rephrase the question because as I'm yep. asking it, Augusta at the at the dawn of spring is probably the most beautiful thing a golf fan can see. Do you think that fall at Augusta can achieve the same level or will it be dreary? I think it could be pretty close. Depending on if we get some moisture, if there's moisture, if there's rain that comes through, the only difference is how are the fairways and how there's really not that much rough. So how much roll are you going to get in the fairway? Mm -hmm. Is it going to be wet enough where the shorter hitters are not, not going to have the same advantage as the longer hitters coming into these longer par fours, par fives, trying to reach it into two? Mm -hmm. You don't have to worry about the greens much because if you remember, Augusta National has sub-air systems. So they can control how much moisture is in the root systems of the grass on the green. They Correct. can control the speed. So green-wise, I don't think it's going to be that big of a factor. But as far as off the tee, I think it could be. And that's another good point because one of the things I'm interested to see, we're going to see a lot of different club selections this year. One of the ultimate neutralizers for distance is colder, thicker air. Yep. That's just a scientific fact. And I think of iconic shots that we look forward to every year, you know, the, the, the mid to short iron into number 15 on the par five. Correct. About catching the slope on 13 and hitting the draw at the right spot and get that extra 60, 75 yards worth of roll. Mm -hmm. I don't know that we're going to be seeing with this, with this type of weather, especially if it rains, but with it being colder, the distance that the ball travels, I'm interested to see if, that neutralizes some of the longer hitters to where now where we would typically see driver seven iron on number 15. Now we're looking driver five iron, driver four iron, less, less margin for error with those clubs. I think of number 12. We know that club selection. Any golf fan or any fan of the Masters knows that selection. It's either a full knockdown nine or a nice smooth eight. We know that. But what happens when it's cold outside? What happens when that ball gets up in the air and just kind of hovers instead of cuts through the atmosphere? Are we looking at sevens? Are we looking at full eights and knock down sevens? Like, I think that's going to be something to watch. Do you, on, on a course that's long, Iowa is, is notably long. I know it doesn't get too cold in Florida, but having been there for three years, I can, we, we both know during the winter, it can be 38, 40 degrees sometimes. Now, that's typically later in the day, but we're still, you know, we can see the 60s. We can see colder, thicker air days. So from someone who is an outdoor operations supervisor at a long course and Augusta that has been lengthened to about the maximum length they can lengthen it, do you see the cold weather playing a factor in how far the ball travels in club selection as well? Absolutely. So, I mean, I could tell you from experience, I've played Isleworth at 50 to 55 degrees. I played Isleworth at 90 to 95. Colder weather, 
the ball's probably traveling on average to a club to a club and a half shorter. Um, but in saying that, depending on how much moisture is on the golf course at that time. So in the morning, you might have that morning dew. So the fairways and the rough are not going to, they'll be a little bit more receptive, especially the rough. But middle of the day, after about 10, 11, 12 o'clock, from that point on, the course is going to dry out. When it dries out, the roll, you're going to get an extra maybe 8 to 12 yards, depending on, depending on what you hit. Um, but I've seen, I've played the Tiger Tees at Isleworth. Uh, the Tiger Tees play normally about 70, we'll say 7,500 yards. On cold days when it's windy, when the wind is coming out of the north or the east, I kid you not, you can add 350 yards to that golf course. It's a whole, a whole extra hole. Yep. Wow. And that's in Florida, ladies and gentlemen. That's in Florida. I know Georgia yeah. and Florida are right there, but Augusta, Augusta is inland more. It's not right there on the line. It's not right there on the coast. They could still see the effects of the colder weather sitting. Um, so that's great insight. An extra 350 on a cold day, quote unquote, cold day in Florida we could see upwards of 350, 400 yards added to Augusta National on a course that already makes you place your drives. Um, not a whole lot to miss. I'm interested to see, you mentioned the shorter hitters. Um, another one of the more iconic shots of Augusta is the opening tee shot. You're hitting to an elevated plateaued green, and we see people like Tiger, we see people like DJ, we see people like Rom, all the big hitters, Rory. They're, they're getting right on top of it. They're getting, yep. carrying it 15, 20 yards on top of it and getting that, you know, nice little, little bit of roll. But again, you're hitting uphill. I'm interested to see if that's still reachable. If to keep the allure of that shot, Augusta plays the tees up to counteract for that. I'm interested to see how many golfers on tour, if they do play the traditional tees, which you figure at some point in one of the rounds, they're going to have to. They can only move the tees up with so much. Depending and depending on what the weather does, you could probably see the tees being moved up on Thursday to give the golfers a little bit more of a normal feel if the, if the courses go play a little bit longer. So you alluded to number one, quite a few of them hit driver, but you also see quite a few of them hit three wood hybrid because they want to play to a certain yardage into that green. If you know how to play Augusta National, you have a huge advantage. If going you know the numbers to play. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's a very good point. Uh, you know, a Tiger's infamous for playing that, that three-wood stinger off the first tee, getting it up there just on that plateau, playing mm -hmm. to his. You know, he likes that, he likes that 195-202 range with that second shot. Um, it's not a comfortable number for me. Uh, but it is for him. But the, the, the thing to mention there is, in keeping with the theme of the weather, Tiger has always, and people tend to, I don't know if they tend to forget this or they block it out, a lot gets said in the last five to seven years about Tiger's driving accuracy. He's never been a great driver of the golf ball when it comes to accuracy. He's an amazing ball striker and recovery artist. 
So I'd be interested to see what that first hole looks like for him if they're playing traditional tees, if they're playing in colder weather, and he has to hit that driver to get him to where he would normally get that three wood. If he starts spraying a little left, spraying a little right, could we see a week where Tiger's playing number one over par? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I would not, I would not put it out of the question. If you remember 1997, when he first played Augusta National, he was, what did he shoot, 40? Shot 40 on the front nine. 40 on the front. Shot 40 on the front, and I believe he shot. He's 34. 34, 35. I thought, he, I thought he came back to even. I thought he came back to even. Yeah. On the first round. I think he went maybe 40, 40, 32. Sticking with Tiger, you know, we haven't seen much of Tiger this year. I think the last time we saw him was the, uh, that charity event that was on TNT when he played at his home course at Medalist. And that day it rained, but it was a little bit warmer. And he's used to the Florida rains. Imagine if it's a little bit cooler. After having spinal fusion, how's his back going to feel? Can he still turn? Will he still have that torque? Trying to play each shot. If temperatures get below 70 degrees and he has to put on another layer, I don't know if he's going to perform as good as other players that are used to playing in this weather. Those that live in the Northeast, those that live out in California where you have the marine layer coming in off the Pacific. European players, they play in it 10 yeah. out of 12 months. <laughs> that's just that's just it for them that's their weather yeah that's it but it's interesting you bring that up because tiger has had notable back problems for a long time yes for a long time but i don't know if it's because of the stinger i don't know if it's because his uncanny ability to control his ball flight which i mean unrivaled no one can control and shape shots maybe with the driver bubba but as far as having every shot in the bag, Tiger has it. But for some reason, those European courses, British Opens, he plays extremely well even when he's not playing well. So I would have to think that, I mean, it, it will probably sneak up. It'll, I would venture to say Tiger's been down there for a week or two already. And he's probably, you know, getting used to the weather, getting used to all that. I, I don't know that that that's going to be so much of an issue early on. But I think that's a very valid point and something to watch as the weekend rolls along, especially if that storm system brings a cold front with it and it's colder on Saturday, Sunday than it is Thursday, Friday. That could be a big factor, huge factor. And also, also over the last couple of years, we haven't had to mention this because Tiger has been a really good putter. He's been changing his putter off and on for the last two to three years. How confident is he going to be putting? That, that's a good point. There's, there's for the first time, I think, there's a vulnerability in Tiger that we're not used to seeing. Um, anytime players are going back and forth between clubs, and I'm not talking switching up, you know, from the, the, you know, the R7s or, you know, back in the day or going from the TP4s to the TP6s or anything like that, or the M4s and the M6s. I'm not talking about that. Putting is a, game, is a game of feel. It always has. It always will be. It is not often you see a, a player from tournament to tournament to tournament 
have a different putter or be testing and playing with a different putter. And I think over the last year, that's a vulnerability we've seen him not being able to get really the feel we've seen speed issues out of tiger, which has never really been a a problem for him. Um, I don't think I'm not ready to say that he's falling off. I just, for the first time, and it's amazing that it's taken, was he 40, 45, 44? But he's 40, oh God, 45? 45, early to mid 40s. Yes. And we've been watching him play golf since he was 16 years old on a professional level, it seems like. And for the first time, we see vulnerability in him. That, that doesn't get addressed a whole lot, but I think it's remarkable and speaks to what he has done to the game of golf that in that amount of time, 30 plus years, it's the first time we're seeing a vulnerability in Tiger that he can't recover from. Again, we mentioned that driving accuracy has always been a thing, but he's always been able to get out of it and shoot really great scores because his recovery, his short game, and his putter. Now Correct. we're seeing a very controllable thing give him fits, and that's, that's unique. And I love watching the competitive mentality he has when he's battling himself. That's a great thing to watch. Absolutely. So let's talk about favorites. Um, I'm going to go down here through the list. I believe Tiger has the uh, – I'm not going to say specifically that I know this, but I think if I remember correctly, he's the 11th or 12th best on odds. But I know the top five for sure are Bryson DeChambeau at 17 to 2. Yep. You got John Rahm at 10 to 1. Yep. You got Rory at 11 to 1. Justin Thomas at 12 to 1. And Dustin Johnson at 12 to 1. So those are your top five. Tiger, I believe, is just breaks the top or just sits outside the top 10 at 28 to 1. So there's your gap. You know, the fifth, the tie for fourth would be Justin Thomas and DJ at 12 to 1. Tiger's at 28 to 1. Obviously, we like Tiger. Obviously, Tiger knows Augusta better than anybody, and Tiger's always going to have a shot when he goes down to Georgia and strolls up Magnolia Lane. Outside of that, if you had to pick one out of the top five that I just listed, based on odds, not world golf rankings, but based on those odds that are the top five this week, who do you like out of that top five? Oh, if I had to just choose one. I mean, right now – for me, I'm torn between Dustin Johnson and Bryson. If I had to choose one, how can you not choose Bryson? With the way he's playing lately, for sure, yeah. The way he absolutely tore up TPC Harding Park. Did not care where he hit it as long it was long enough to where he had a shot in. And then his putting, his putting was the game changer that week. He put it absolutely incredible. And to do that in a major, and that was his first major, correct? Yes. That's going to be, I'm going to say first of, could be many. Sure. Now, do you think that, and I'm not knocking his style. Mm-hmm. Uh, golf is all about finding something that works for you. Golf swings are like snowflakes. No one is the same. And he has found something that works for him. Yep. Do you think that the overpowering brute mentality he's bringing, he's, I, don't, I wouldn't really call him the mad scientist anymore because what he's doing is pretty, pretty transparent. Just get the ball as far down as you can because golf courses aren't built to put trouble where he's hitting the ball. But Augusta traditionally is not a course that can be overpowered 
as easily. Now I do know that, you know, the pines that line, there's not a lot of places you can miss left at Augusta, but the tree lined fairways that separate the, the parallels holes, you know, that, that does give him some opportunity. But do you think that just trying to overpower Augusta is going to work out for him? It's going to work on some holes, but not every single one where it demands placement. You have to, you have to put the ball in a spot. You have to pretty much, you have to give what Augusta gives you on that day. If there are days where the wind's going a certain direction to the point where, hey, you know what, I can probably hit driver and I can probably get maybe 15, 20 yards closer and then go from maybe an eight iron to a wedge in, fine, I'm gonna do it. But you gotta look at the flag, you gotta look at the greens. Where's the pin placement gonna be? So you gotta, it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of thinking and he is obviously so analytical. Yeah, no one can just do that he's And he's doing it for a reason and you're starting to see why. Yeah, and I think that, I like that point you brought up. He's very analytical, he's very precise and methodical with the way he goes around the golf course. I think it's crazy because that's what professional golfers, that's what gets them where they're at. You know, as a, as a everyday golfer, we get out there and we say things like, okay, I think of the, the, the first hole um, at the course I play the most, Chesapeake Golf Club down here in Virginia, up here for you. Um, it's, it's a straight hole, but there's three pine trees that cut out from the right, right in between the middle of the fairway and the green. And the green is a little offset to the right. So those trees, you know, just don't be right because those trees could give you issue. It's that simple. And then we just swing away and we go. These guys are not thinking that. That's not what got them where they're at. They have numbers. They have yardages that they know they have to hit. And they have scoring yardages, they have layup yardages, they have bailout yardages. So what Bryson's doing, I don't think is different than what most professional golfers do. He's just doing it and taking it as his job to be that analytical. It's not part of the game for him. It is the game for him. He's using new age technology to his level, to his advantage. We did not have this technology 10 years ago. We were just talking about, we had the V1 so that we can look at our swings. Mm -hmm. Okay. It would give us approximate uh, ball flight. It would give us club path, club face at impact. But what these guys have now with TrackMan and with flight scope, it's, it's another world. It is. And for those of you, Phil just made a reference. One of the things, and I, Phil and I have had this conversation, but one of the things that led us to choosing the Golf Academy of America, when we went, there were three campuses. There was the San Diego campus, the Myrtle Beach campus, and the Orlando campus. The training facility and the technology that the Orlando campus had was top of the line. We were in the Pro V1, or the V1 Meg system, that was the technology in 2007, 2008, 2009 when we were there. These new systems, even just the run-of-the-mill simulator at your local golf shop where you want to go hit some new clubs, make what we trained on look like the Oregon Trail, the video game. Like it, it is a huge night and day difference. And like Phil alluded to, Bryson's just using the information available to elevate himself 
and he's playing the percentages. Yep. He's playing the percentages. That's all he's doing. Absolutely. All right, so you like Bryson, and you said it was, it was a tie between DJ and DeChambeau, and you went DeChambeau. DJ, DJ's too flaky for me. Okay. I like Thomas. I like Justin Thomas. I think Augusta requires a confidence. Yep. Uh, we saw that in 2016 with Jordan Spieth. He just, you know, went mind blank after the 12th. After the first shot, really. I mean, why he, he hit the ball into, the, into Ray's Creek, and then he takes his drop, and then he can drop closer but decides to go further back and hits that one in the water, and it just gone. He just yeah. went mentally blank. But Justin, Justin has that killer instinct, sort of like what Tiger does. I think that's why they enjoy playing together so much. Um, but I'm going to throw a dark horse at you and someone I've been watching, I don't want to say more than, than most, um, because he's around. I like Xander Shoffley next week. I like Xander Shoffley um, oh, next week, this week. I like Xander yep. Shoffley this week coming into Augusta and just playing his game. I think he's going to be in a spot and the name you should watch out for. I think, I think Tiger could be there. Um, Tiger doesn't take time off lightly. Um, no. He's not. Especially for majors. No. So I'm not reading into him not playing and, and all of that stuff. Like I said, I think Tiger's probably been down in Augusta for two weeks now. Um, he's ready. He'll be ready. He'll have his body ready. Um, he can't combat weather. We've already discussed that with his back. He can do everything in his power to be ready for it. Um, if he plays well enough, you know, he's going to have that flip-flop. It, it'd be interesting to see. They typically favor Masters champions. So it'll be interesting to see, does he get that, like, 10 to 11 and 1 to 2 Thursday, Friday? Or does he get, like, the 7.57, 8.30 window one day and then, you know, the 2 o'clock window? It's not going to be able – I know they're doing different, uh, different uh, starts this year. Yep. Uh, to combat the daylight that we're going to lose. You know, they're going to have to be done by 5, 515. Um, right. you're, you're, only, you're only looking at 95 players this year, so right. that should help. It should help, and then they're doing the reverse shotgun where they'll send groups off of 10 and 1. Mm -hmm. uh, and, of course, are they? I haven't read. I know they cut the field down. I, I anticipate they're still going to make a cut. I haven't heard should, They enough. should. They have to. I think, what, what do they cut? Is it 50 in ties? Yeah. It should be. Well, it's typically the mean of the field and mm -hmm. ties. So okay. I just don't know. I know that there's been a couple tournaments this year that with the condensed fields, they haven't made cuts because they're not seeing their typical 150 to 170 players. When they get down to the 90s, the, the hundreds right there, they've been letting the whole field stay. But it'll be interesting to see for sure what those tee times do. If he gets, if he gets two starts in the mid-afternoon, late morning, mid-afternoon range, back-to-back, -back, it's going to be good for him. Um, if yep. he doesn't, it's going to be very imperative that he scores low. So that if, when he does make it, I'm calling that right now. I don't want to hear any haters out there talking about Tiger missing the cut. He's not missing the cut. So when he gets to the weekend, it's imperative he has a good score so that he can still get those later tee times as his body wears down. I don't anticipate his back being an issue Thursday, Friday. But if he's teeing off 8, 9 o'clock, on Saturday and again on Sunday. Now, now, now we're in trouble area. Yeah. So I gave you my dark horse. Is there any name that you think we should keep an eye out? Uh, I wrote down a few dark horses and then I have my own power top 10. 
for the okay. Masters. Um, Phil's power team. Here we go. So, uh, Kevin Kisner. Okay. Kevin Kisner at 125 to 1. He likes to perform well in the majors. Not too long off the tee, but he has a really good iron game. If his putter's on, expect him to be within the first two, three pages of the leaderboard. He's been there for the last couple of years. Uh, another person, it doesn't matter what major tournament it is. It just seems like in the last five, six years, you've always seen this name lurking. Let me know what you're going to Yeah. Mark Leishman. Yes, sir. Mark Leishman. Resident of my home city. <laughs> you can't rule him out. You can't. You can't. And then, and I'm not saying this because I interact with him almost on a daily basis when he's in town. But at 250 to 1, that, those odds are asinine. Charles Howell III. Yeah, I saw that. That's a really insulting odd. For a guy that driving average is just over 300 yards, his putting is decent, it's passable, but his iron play. I've watched him hit thousands of golf balls, and I've had multiple conversations with him. Just watching him up close, he's probably one of the best and one of the purest ball strikers I've seen in person probably since watching Tiger. He practices so much on that range. He devotes so much time. And he keeps telling me, Phil, I'm just trying to get better every day. Just trying to get better every day. So I got Charles at 250 to one. Not only do I see him making the cut, give me a top 25. Charles Allen, top 25? Give me a top 25 for Charles. Okay. Um, let's go down the list real quick. I'm not going to just go be. Scotty Scheffler, number 10. 50 to 1 odds. Um, thought he did really well at TPC Harding Park. Young up-and-comer. Um, long off the tee. Good iron game. We'll see what happens down the line. But I think Scotty's going to be – he's going to be part of a – of a group of young players that we got coming out now that we're going to be talking about probably for the next five years. Um, number nine, coming in at 28 to one, a former resident of Isleworth, Bubba Watson. Yes, sir. Former winner, can hit almost any kind of golf shot you tell him to. Thing is, Will his mind be there? If he brings his Adderall, it will be. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let me, let me say this about Bubba. All right. Bubba gets a bad rap, but if you don't know Bubba, he may come off, he may come off wrong. He may come off arrogant. If he takes the time to get to know you, he has this dry humor. And if you watch his Instagram, you can see some of it. Um, I've been fortunate to play golf with Bubba one time. And he shot probably the most boring 65 at Isleworth I've ever seen. 
And he took some lines that I never thought he would take. Just like that? Yeah. Just showed up in 65. Just come straight out of the, come straight out of the house. He'll hit one or two balls in the range. All right, boys, you ready? Let's tee it up. He goes out there, one little practice swing, boom, off we go. Birdie, par, birdie, par, bogey. All right, I'll make it up. Eagle on seven. Mm, Just, that's, a, that's a tough eagle on seven at Ottawa. Yeah. Uh, number two, probably the hardest par three in all of golf. From the Tiger Tees, it could be playing anywhere from, we'll say, 235 yards all the way back to 270. Okay. So getting off topic real quick, um, 2016, it was one of my first four caddies uh, positions that I had. It was on Sunday, and I took out Hideki Matsuyama. So I went out with Matsuyama, his caddy, and his little gang his little crew. We get the number two and he tells me, Phil, I'm going to play this golf course as far back as I possibly can just to see what I shoot. Like, All right. So I shoot number two. Two's playing into the wind, probably 15, 20 miles an hour. It played 272. Guess what club he hit? Hideki? Hideki. He's a great ball striker. I, if I had to guess, I'd say a five iron. Three. He hit a three iron? He hit a three iron. He took it. He hit a cut. So for those of you that don't know what a cut is, it starts just off to the left, but then it comes back in line, uh, right back to your target line. So he hits the left side of the green, but then it comes off. So he's off to the side. He takes a 60-degree wedge, hits a high flop. Now, our approaches are into the green but he had enough, enough bounce to get under it. He puts the ball to about a foot, makes the putt, turns around to me and smiles. I'm like, you know what? <laughs> that's sickening. That's why you're you. That's why, that's why you're that darn good. And a cut as well, a cut for a right-handed golfer is a shot shape that we go to for control, but Correct. we sacrifice distance. So yep. to take a three iron, 275, over trees. Over trees, into the wind, with a Over cut. Water. And it, had it not been for the angle of the green he hit, it stays on. Yeah. Wow. If it, sta if it stayed on the green, he's probably looking at five feet. Instead, he had about a 15, 15, 18-yard flop shot, which I would never attempt at Isleworth unless the ball's sitting up. Wow. You always got to play bump and run. All right, getting back. Uh, number seven. LT Gray himself. I got Tiger at number seven at 28 to one. Okay. You can, you can never count him out. Not at Augusta. No. Uh, next one, 25 to one, Colin Morikawa. Yeah, another young gun coming up. Plays very fearless. Sometimes it gets him into trouble, but some of the shots like there, I've watched him and you know, when he's, when he's focused, I think he, he can be unstoppable. Especially when it comes to, uh, like, bunker shots. Shots from 200 yards and in, I put him up there with anybody. Mm. I think he's going to be 
he's going to be really, really good. I put him in the same class as a, as a Scotty Scheffler and a name I forgot to mention. Now I'm just thinking about it. Matthew Fitzpatrick. Another good one. Um, Patrick Cantlay, next on my list. Patrick, I've always seen him on the leaderboard off and on for the last couple of years, but last two years, he has been playing some really good golf. Really good. Um, and I think he's got a lot of momentum coming into next week or this week at uh, Augusta National, so you can't count him out. Next few, Brooks Kepka. Mr. Major himself. Yep. He's won four titles. He has. Came if it wasn't for uh if it wasn't for Tiger getting uh number fifteen. Yes, sir. Brooks should have won that. So, you know, if Brooks is healthy, he's right up there. Mm -hmm. I take he's at 18 one odds. I think that's right on. I think that's right on. Um, John Rom, 10 to one. I don't know what it is about John Rom. Maybe I don't watch too much of him. I just don't trust him. I just don't trust him. He can, he can first and second round. He's gold. But when I think, when I think the pressure is on, he's, he, I don't think he's ready yet to take the next step to become uh, a master's champion or a major champion. Um, just don't trust him. Just like I didn't have two names on this list. Rory McIlroy and Gary Woodland. Okay. Did not have them in my top 10. Um, Rory, ever since that 80 that he shot in the last round a couple years ago, when he hit that ball so far left, I thought that ball was in South Carolina. <laughs> I mean, that thing was hooked. It, it, was, was, it was a power hook that hooked. <laughs> yeah. Like, nobody beside the maintenance crew have ever seen that side of the golf course before on 10. Unbelievable. Um, have you seen – have you heard the uh, the radio – uh, because you know all the all the marshals and all the all the forecast, they all have the uh, the walkie talkies. Mm -hmm. And there's a video um, when they ask for help to look for the ball. Yeah. And there's there's some there's some audio somewhere where they tell him where the ball is. We're over here on uh, was it ten? Yeah. So we're over here on ten, and uh, we're looking for a ball. And you know whereabouts is it? And they tell you it's where. And when I when I hear it, I just dying because it is like there, like you said, they they didn't even know you could hit a golf ball there. No. So I got two names I want to ask you about. Go One is special to us. So this goes into, and I don't, I, I I'm pretty sure he's in the field. I'm not positive. Um, do you happen to have the whole field pulled up? Um, I can pull it up here in just a second. Okay, I'm gonna tell a story while we do. Um, and, and if he's not in there, this is relevant. This guy is, has got a special place to us. When we were down at the Golf Academy, my roommate, uh, Ryan Johnson, his cousin was Kevin Streelman. Not was, is Kevin Streelman. Streelman. And he had the ability to go to the 
um, Disney tournament that's down there, the Magnolia course. Mm -hmm. And we got to watch his breakthrough on the PGA Tour. Now, he had been on the tour for a couple years, but back then in 2008, 2009, I don't think it stopped until like 2015, but they used to have something called the Kodak Challenge. And the Kodak Challenge was a measurement of certain scores on certain types of holes throughout the year, mostly par threes. And the winner each year got a million dollars. And the final, the final leg was the Magnolia course tournament at Disney that our roommate, because Kevin was there, got us rope passes. And we got to file, follow Kevin Streelman all the way around that course. And we got to follow him around Bay Hill after we got done caddying, which was a great experience as well. Um, so we got to watch him win that Kodak challenge. And from there on, his career just catapulted. It was like the confidence jolt he needed to have won anything on tour. So being personal to you and I, having been there watching that together, is Kevin Streelman in the field? Did you get to pull that up? Yeah, I got it. He is not. He is not in the field. Okay, he so he's not a 95 cut. So that one gets out. Um, but he's, he's one I always like to watch. And the other one I like to I want to ask you about, because he's one of my favorite up-and-coming golfers. There's a lot. Uh, Scotty Scheffler you mentioned. Um, you mentioned Morikawa. Uh, and all that, but there one guy that always catches my eye is Victor Hovland. Okay. And so I'm interested. What do you what do you think Victor Hovland? He's not in your top ten, and deservedly so. We've never seen him play Augusta. But do you think Victor Hovland could have success at Augusta? I think he can. So Victor, it might have been a couple of years ago, but he did play at the Tavistock Collegiate Invitational. There was one day. I followed him for a few holes, and he went, I think it was, there was a stretch on the back. I think he went, he might have went birdie, birdie, eagle, and that's holes 11, 12, and 13. Now, on the back nine of Isleworth, you can make up some ground because I think the back nine is two and a half shots easier than the front. I always say, at Isleworth, the first six holes, at Isleworth, you're playing defense. If you can get out of there at two to three, one, two over par, you're going to be fine. Victor Hovland, and I'm glad you mentioned that. Hovland, I think, is going to be – he can have a lot of success. It would not surprise me, maybe a top 15. Oh, okay. I got to make a correction. He did, play, he did play Augusta last year. It was his first – it was his first uh, Masters. Okay. He got okay. uh, one under on Sunday to finish at minus three for the week. Okay. So, okay. Right. Nice one to look out there. So, yep. before we get you out of here, Phil, I could talk golf all day, but my producer, a.k.a. my wife, is giving me the look. Um, so, when push comes to shove, we've talked power rankings, we've talked odds, we've talked all types of golf and Masters coming up. And, man, I can't wait. I know you're going to be watching. I'm going to be watching. The world will be watching. Who, who gets the green jacket placed on their shoulders by Tiger on Sunday? I'm saying Bryson. You're going, you're going to stick with the mad scientist. I'm, stick, I'm sticking with Bryson. Okay. All right. So there you have it there. Phil Washington out of Iowa Club down in Florida thinking Barry Bryson DeChambeau will hold the green jacket and Tiger will be placing on his shoulders this year. So before I do actually officially get you out of here, something just caught my eye. Phil is – never short of scenery and being as professional as possible. And I see that you, uh, you have your world championship WWE belt in the background beside your Philly helm, your Philadelphia Eagles helmet and your 76ers ball cap. 
So I got to ask you real quick before we wrap this up. Favorite wrestler of all time? The Rock. The Rock, hands down. Hands down. He's the one that got me into it. Okay. I'll give you mine. Mine is more of a nostalgic thing. We weren't allowed to watch wrestling growing up. Now, my brother was. He's my stepbrother, so we, we didn't always live together. He was allowed to watch it. I wasn't. So when we finally got our own rooms, he would let me kind of sneak in and watch a little wrestling. Mm-hmm. And the one person that always got me going was Kane. Was Kane? Kane. Ooh. With, the, with the lights going out and wearing the blood red, the blood okay. red unitards, all that stuff. Kane, when I think wrestling, he's always one of the first ones that come up. I loved him. Him and The Undertaker. I know they're brothers. Um, up production. That's it. But yep. it has to be for me, Kane, just the fear. The fear. It was just, there, it's, it's not The Undertaker type fear. It was a different kind no. of fear. Like you were, like, okay, I understand wrestling. Is, is scripted a little bit. I get that. Um, it is real. No one's going to no one's gonna knock them for that, but it is an entertainment business. But there was just something about, like, you feel like The Undertaker, great performer, great intro, great stories always. But you kind of want to grab a beer with the guy. Yes. Kane, there was just something about him that I feel like he might have been even scarier out of character than he was in character. Like there was just something about Kane that just always like gave me the chills. And because of that, I always think about Kane when I think about wrestling. So, oh man. You're, I'll tell you what, you're 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 taking it back to the to the best time in professional wrestling between 1997 and we'll say 2001, the attitude era. Yes, sir. Whether you were watching WCW, Monday Night Nitro, or WWE Raw. WWF Raw, 97 to 2001, the golden era of professional wrestling. Okay. So if you had to pick someone, if you had to pick a wrestler prior to that, let's, let's go back to like the Andre the Giant era, the Macho Man Randy Savage era, the OG or Ric Flair before he came Triple H Ric Flair type Ric. Who, who from that era would get your nod? Gotta give me flair. Like Ric Flair. Woo! Gotta, gotta give me flair. Flair on the mic is untouchable. That or mm. or I'll tell you what. The American Dream. Ooh. Dusty Rhodes. Ooh. I love that. No HBK? No Shawn Michaels? HBK didn't do it for me. No? HBK like didn't HBK do it. For music? Me. No. He, I couldn't HBK. do it to me was always kind of like the little engine that could. He had no business doing anything that he did, but they were going to make sure that pretty boy Shawn Michaels was going to get a boot on a chin every single match. It may not lead to it. It may not lead to a pinfall, but he's kicking somebody's chin. And it was, he he did revolutionize the ladder match with him and diesel. Did he did. So, man, I, I didn't know I had so much to say about wrestling. I got another question for you. Go for it. How did you feel about the, the I'm looking for a word here, but the creation. There we go. How did you feel about the creation of the Elimination Chamber? The only pay-per-view I've ever bought was, when, was the original by Eric. Who, who created it? Eric? Eric Bischoff. Eric Bischoff, and we had Triple H, 
in the Elimination Chamber. In the first one, we had Randy Orton. In yep. the first one, we had was Undertaker in the first one. I think Undertaker might have been in it. But I mean, um, that was that was pretty big. What do you <clears throat> where do you stand on the Elimination Chamber versus? Because here's always the argument. All I always see it: Elimination Chamber versus Cage Match. If we're talking originality, you have to go probably the original Elimination Chamber was the most dangerous thing, dangerous match you could possibly have. Now, the original one. If you say cage match, okay, all right. You can get in it, you can get in and out. But what if we add Hell in a Cell? See, that's, that's valid. That, that's a different argument. That, that's a different, because Hell in a Cell gave us Mick Foley and Undertaker. Yeah. I mean, one of the top three iconic matches of all time. Mick Foley should have died that night. Three times. Three times. Three times. He got thrown yep. from the top of the cell onto a yep. bed of backs. He got thrown yep. from the top of the cell through the announcer's table. And then somehow, some way, got up and got a tombstone. That was amazing. Yeah. That was amazing. Phil, this has been an absolute pleasure, man. I hate that we have to wrap this up, but you and I will talk more, of course. But we want to thank uh, Phil Washington, or, yeah, Phil Washington from Isleworth Club, the outdoor operations supervisor, all the way from a Zoom meeting in Florida. Thank you for joining the show. Sports with BJ, thanks you. And for the listeners out there, thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time on Sports with BJ. <laughs>